This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Lisa Island, welcome to Better Reading. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me. Well, well, well. So you're in Victoria and I'm in Sydney and this is uh, the year of corona, right? It really <laughs> is. It's, now we were just saying off air that it's quite strange to be not face-to-face having this conversation, but we're, we're making do, aren't we? We are making do. And I, I am really enjoying it more and more. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm yearning for human contact. But I wonder, I wonder how the world will change, how it will be different in, you know, after all of this. It's yeah, got to be I, one change, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think I think there will be a lot of people that do make that shift to, to working from home. Oh. Um, but then there might be a, a whole heap of other people who've decided that maybe working from home is not all of it, that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> so. Maybe. Hey, listen, so congratulations on your new book, uh, The Secret Life of Shirley Sullivan. I mean, I have not read so many great reviews as I have of this book. In my research, there, there, I don't think I came across one person that didn't like it. Well, that's really very encouraging to hear. I'm sure someone won't like it. There's always one person at least. But um, I, yeah, I'm very grateful for the, the, the great reviews. It's very close to my heart, this book. So um, I try not to take too much notice of, of reviews because, you know, you can, that's a, a way to get yourself very um, easily upset, I guess. Um, I don't kind of, like once I've written the book, the book when it's with me is for me, but then once it's out in the world, it's for readers and people are entitled to their opinions no matter what they are so I try not to get too engaged but I'm really happy to hear to hear that people like it because it is so close to my heart. Mm, They certainly are. So Lisa is an Australian best-selling author she lives in Victoria's Bellarine Peninsula with her husband and three big boys. Uh, Are you isolating with all of these people? (laughs) Actually um, two of my boys two of my two biggest boys one just moved out uh, the weekend before we went in to lockdown so um so he he's not with us and my middle son is up uh in Melbourne at university so there I've only got um my youngest son at home who's doing remote learning he's in 11 and my husband is at home so and I'm so glad I'm so glad there's just the three of us because it would be a very full house if all five of us were here at the moment yeah and in your biography it says you love eating but not cooking I'm wondering has that changed in isolation no not at all Cheryl (laughs) no I do I'm a real foodie I love food but I'm lazy and I I like other people to cook for me I mean I do cook we we are an old-fashioned family that sit down to 
a, a meal together every night. Love um, that. Yes, yeah, so I do cook most weekdays. Um, my husband cooks a bit too, but I'm, um, yeah, no, I haven't been, I haven't had time. I haven't been um, baking the bread or my, my friend Sally Hepworth has gone into the full bed, bread baking um you know, <laughs> she's got on board with that sort of uh, phase that everyone's gone through, but not me. I'm, I'm well, do you know, I, I've, I started bread baking before Corona. Oh, um, well done. Yeah. And so I ran a little um, Instagram course for all my family and friends um, on video. So for the first two weeks of isolation, I was busy. I was making videos and teaching people how to make bread. But Carol, you- I could fail that, of course. I would be your one failure. You could be have the foolproof, say this is any person can do this and I would fail it. So I'm just not a good cook. Okay. But do you know what I have discovered in isolation? Now, people have always, you know, known me to be a good cook right? And, you know, I'll take that because I like food and I enjoy cooking and whatever. But do you know what I have discovered about myself in isolation? That I really don't like it unless I'm doing it for someone else. Oh, that's interesting, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Was- I can't do it. I'm, I'm feeling really... Cooking for myself gives me no joy whatsoever. Oh, what about the uh, virtual dinner party? Have you given that one a go? Yeah. I, I, I haven't done it yet, but we I, we keep saying with our friends that we're going to have a virtual dinner party where we all cook, you know, the, a, the same dish and then all and then get into Zoom and sit around the table and pretend we're ha- we're all having um, dinner together. I've done the drinks, we've done Zoom drinks, but I haven't got to the dinner party yet. Yeah, I've only done drinks, but I think you know when I'm in the kitchen and. In the past, you've, I don't know, is, was I thinking about the people that were going to eat it? Was I, I mean, I don't know, but now I sit in a kitchen and I'm chopping and I'm thinking, oh, mm. I don't want this. Do you think you, you get pleasure from other people's pleasure when they are in, when you when you serve Absolutely. up the meal and, and, and they're enjoying it? Yeah, yeah it turns out that's what it is. Well, <laughs> I didn't I do that until now. <laughs> I take my hat off to you. I get no pleasure from it whatsoever, except the eating I like to eat. Well, that's right. I like people like you that just come over. <laughs> And eat. I like that. Okay. You can cook for me anytime, Cheryl. Anytime. Yeah, okay, when this is over. Now tell yes. me, tell me about your life and tell me how you came to writing. Um, well, I've always wanted to be a writer. I grew up uh, in Melbourne's western suburbs. Uh, really the town where I grew up when I moved there, when my parents moved there, it was really a country town, but the, the city grew out to to meet it. So it became like an outer western suburb of Melbourne. And um, really it was an area where, particularly in the time that I grew up, which was, was in the 70s and 80s, um, wasn't a time that people aspired, like particularly young women. If, if you were uh, did well at school, the aspirations for you were you could be a teacher or a nurse um, and that was pre- or you could go and work in the bank, <laughs> which was pretty much it. So even though I loved writing as a child and, and had this sort of fantasy of being a writer, I didn't think it was a real thing, didn't think that I would really be able to do it. So I did what I was supposed to do, which was went off to uni and became a teacher, which I loved, but I was a primary school teacher and I really enjoyed that job for a really long time. But I had in the back of my head this desire to write and I I wrote journals and I wrote letters and occasionally would write a story and then when my kids came along I would write stories for them and then when my youngest was born I a friend of mine had told, confessed to me that she um had been going to do a writing course because she was hoping to become a writer. And I said, oh, I've always wanted to be a writer. 
And she said, you should come too. And I was like, oh, but, you know, I still was in that mindset that it, it wasn't a real achievable thing for me. So by that time I was in my mid-30s. But she convinced me and I did go along to the writing course. And then once I started that course, which was uh, professional writing and editing, I did it at TAFE, um, I was just smitten. And I just then I, I got a real hunger for it and I started to believe uh, that I could really do it. And so, yeah, it, was, it took me actually 10 years from then until I uh, got my first book published. So it was a long journey. Uh, but I got there in the end. And how did you get your first book published? Tell me about that. Um, well, actually, I wrote that this is actually a bit of a funny story because I wrote a story called Breaking the Drought, which is um, it was first published by Escape Publishing, which is the digital arm of, of Harlequin. Um, and how that came to be was when I was a, a young teacher, I had, I'd grown up in the city. My, my dad was from the country. He was from Gippsland. He grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, so I knew a little bit about the country, but um, I grew up in the city and was very much a city girl. So when I was in my very early 20s, I got my first teaching job at a tiny, tiny little school called Longford Primary School out uh, in Gippsland in Victoria, a tiny country area. And that was a very rude awakening to country life for me. I had a really great time there, but I was I was always getting into scrapes. I was like things like I would run out of petrol constantly because the nearest petrol station was about 15k away from where I lived and I was used to living in the city where the petrol stations were on every other corner. So someone was always having to come and rescue me. Um <laughs> And I had, there was a mouse plague the first year I lived there and my house got inundated with mice and oh. when I was the first one, I moved out of the house, like to moved into Longford's near sale. I moved into with some other teachers for a week while one of the other teachers that I worked with, her husband came and, and dealt with the mice because I couldn't even set a mouse trap. I was such a city girl. So when I started writing, I'd always wanted to um, somehow capture that sort, not that my own story, but the essence of that a city girl moves to the country um, in a novel. And so Breaking the Drought was, that was the essence of that story, which of course, and, and it had a romantic through line. So it fit very neatly into the rural romance brand or genre. But um, I didn't know that. I didn't even know that there was a thing called rural romance until I read Rachel John's Jilted. I know Rachel and she's, terrific, isn't she? she's, she's a, a, a really close friend of mine. So when Jilted came out, actually I didn't know her that well then. I, I We'd only just met, but I read the book and I went, oh, this is kind of the thing that I've written. Like I wonder, because I tried to get it published and no one had been like years earlier. So it just sort of sat in the drawer for a few years. But then when I read Jilted, I thought actually maybe there's a market for this. So I went to the Romance Writers of Australia, uh, their conference in Fremantle, and I pitched the book to Kate Cuthbert and she accepted it. So and that kind of, that just got the career off to a start. So it was a short novel, so it went to escape, but the very next one was published by Harlequin Mirror. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you know what I've noticed about this particular genre? And, you know, some people uh, love it and a lot of people do love it and a lot of our listeners and readers love it, but a lot of people are very disparaging of it because they say it's too commercial or popular or whatever. But I think in a way it's given women voice. I would totally agree with that. Mm. And I have moved on from from writing rural romance. In fact, I was just on the phone to Rachel uh, last night. She's because she has a release out actually yesterday, which um, which is a rural romance. And we were talking about, because we both have written, she writes in both genres, rural romance and in general fiction. And I started in rural romance and have moved on to general fiction. It's not that I would never write another rural again. It's just that I tend to be more interested in just writing the story that comes to mind and Mm. my last three books have been um have tended to be not in that rural genre um but I agree with you I think that romance in general um is very much giving women a voice and writing about domestic topics that some some rural romances in fact tackle very deep uh topics things like drought uh things like violence domestic violence suicide of people in drought that that type all those types of um mental health issues all those things are covered by rural romance authors and it allows authors to package it in a way and get it out to a wide range of people and maybe people that wouldn't possibly pick up a book that was uh, a more serious take on that but they are still getting that um that sort of insight into the topic without feeling like they're being beaten over the head with it so I I think Mm. yeah exactly um I feel that um this book The Secret Life of Shirley Sullivan is giving older people a voice and humanizing older people now you would think that it's not necessary to say that, but I really do think that once you get to a certain age, you become invisible and people think that you don't have feelings, that you don't have emotion, that you can't fall in love, that you can't. Do you think that? Absolutely, and that's one of the, the strong themes in, in the book. Um, I think it's, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend about this recently about there's, uh, it was, we'd been watching a, a TV and there was a commercial on for a fast food outlet and there were a, a couple, I think, meant to be perhaps in their 70s um, and they're exchanging, you know, they're having the food and the background music is like something from the 19. 19- 40s <laughs> and mm. if you think about it people in their 70s now they grew up they were at Woodstock they grew up listening to the Rolling Stones <laughs> yeah. and, and you know it's funny because I was watching last night on SBS a, uh, um, a doco on uh, on punk music and like the very beginnings of that, there are people in their 60s and 70s now who would have been part of that era. But we tend in fiction to sort of have this stereotypical view of older people, particularly older women, that they are 
just little old, you know, lovely little old ladies that sit around and knit and and make scones. Yes, exactly. And some people are like that, but but just as many are not. Just because you get older, it doesn't change who you are or what's important to you. Uh, when I was younger, and I, you probably you know the same. I mean, I remember um, thinking. I, I I think I was I don't know about twenty, and I was invited to a thirtieth birthday party. <laughs> And I remember thinking, I'm not going to an old person's birthday. And I didn't go, right? Um, and then when I was 30, I would notice people in their 40s, like say, for instance, if you're out having a drink or something, and I think, oh, God, when I'm 40, I'm never going to be out drinking. You know, that is just so embarrassing. When I, And so it has gone on, right? Yes. And so when I used to see, do you know, one thing too that I really was convinced was true when I was younger is I always thought that when you were in your 50s, that you had everything sorted out. You were exactly <laughs> where you wanted to be. Yeah, exactly. How deluded was I, right? But you're so right, Cheryl. It's funny. I've got when um, I've got quite long blonde hair. I'm in my fifties. I've got quite long blonde hair. It's, it's longer than it should be at the moment. It really needs to be cut, but there's none of that going on at the moment, no. is there? No. But um, I can remember my GP saying to me, and she is about I don't know five or ten years older than me, and yeah. I was saying to her about, um, oh, I don't, because I've got, I've, I straighten it, but I've got very curly hair, and so having short hair is problematic for me because it goes quite frizzy and uncontrollable. I, I hear you. I say to her, when I was in my 30s and my kids were when I was saying, when I'm 40, I, like, I think it's ridiculous to have long hair when you're 40. I'm going to cut it short. And she, and so then when I was 40, she said to me, where's the haircut? And I was like, oh no, I'm still young enough to have long hair. Well, I'm, I'm in my mid fifties now and the hair's still long and it's still blonde. And I don't and know. we're still insecure and we still <laughs> worry about how we look and we still, you know, and I always really genuinely thought that that would go away. But the, the thing is no, when you doesn't. do think about it that's right when you read the secret life of Shirley Sullivan for instance you realize that we are that that is just what makes us human exactly so I'm glad that that's what you took away from the book because um that's very much what I want wanted readers to feel is that Shirley is all of us as we grow older she's got the same hopes and the same dreams and carries the same guilts um she she hasn't necessarily got it all together um but she is actually starting to take the world on and do what she wants instead of what society expects of her. So hopefully readers will relate to that. So tell me where the story came from. Did you model it on on a couple that you knew? I know that, you know, with fiction, a large part of it is who you are, but it's also a mix of, you know, who you know, who, you know, your experience, I guess, your life experience. Sure. Yeah, it had two really strong influences. Um, yeah. I had... About 15 years ago, I was flicking through a newspaper and I saw an article about a couple, an elderly couple who had escaped from their nursing home and gone on the run. And they'd actually evaded the authorities for about four or five days. And the most interesting thing about that article was that at one point they were captured by the police oh. and um, and the elderly woman talked her way out of it, managed to uh, convince the, their captors that they had, had the Can you way. hang on right there? Well, is, is that a crime to leave your nursing home? No, but the, it's not a crime, but these people were obviously not 
in like if, if you're being cared for so for instance my grandfather had Alzheimer's and he was in yeah. a nursing home and he escaped <laughs> it yeah. wasn't based on him but he did escape more than once and the police were called for their own safety because right, yeah so yeah. so yeah. but this so this couple were obviously not well enough to be out in the community but I still thought that it was quite an interesting um because obviously the woman was still smart enough to be able to negotiate the world and, and get away with, uh, you know, disappearing for um, four or five days before they were actually caught. And I was thinking, God, what a gutsy thing I love thing that to story. Do. I love that. And me too. And so I just had it in the back of my head for a really long time, just sitting there sort of percolating. But I didn't know what the rest of the story was. Like I was thinking, why did they run away? Like were they running from the nursing home? Were they running to something? So just for years and years and years it sat in the back of my head. And then two years ago I uh, our house was flooded. It was hit by um, a massive storm and we had big storm water damage. And I had to um, empty part of the house out so that it could be um, repaired mm. and I discovered I'd when my parents had died I'd emptied out their house and I'd, I'd packed up a whole heap of stuff into boxes as you do and stored it at my place without ever really ha- you know going through it that was something I was going to do later anyway I opened this one particular box was water damage so I opened it to check the contents and I discovered uh, that it contained a, all these letters and old photos of my parents and oh. the the photo the uh, letters were of, of this I think 67 of them um and they're from my mum to my dad and from my dad to my mum so both parts of the story so I, I sat down I put them in chronological order and then I read them and it was like and so they had kept them Yes, both of them, which was, that's the most amazing yeah. thing yeah. Is, that, is that my dad, I, I can, my mum was very sentimental and I can imagine her keeping them, but my dad was this quite gruff sort of, you know, very uh, m- masculine man of his time. I can't imagine him, right, first of all, writing this, some of them are quite soppy, um, <laughs> writing these letters and then keeping them, like he's kept all mums to him. So anyway, she'd obviously, at some point she collected them all and they were in this box together so I read read it and um the interesting thing was to me was the historical detail so the letters are in 19 they start in 1961 when my mum lived in Geelong and my dad lived in Lindeno in Gippsland and so they'd met by chance at a dance in Geelong and Mm then um and then corresponded. Uh, and so it's from the very first, their very first meeting to just after, really just before they get married. So that that's the time frame. And so the historical stuff in there was, you know, all the cultural stuff of the times, movies that they were seeing and bands that they were listening to. Mum talks about going to see Cold Joy um, at one point, and I think it was Cold Joy. Um, and, but there, and then another in another letter she references uh, watching President Kennedy's funeral on the TV. Wow. So it, it was filled with those sort of historical details. So, and that was when I thought I could marry these two stories together. And, and to be clear, it, the, the Secret Life of Shirley Sullivan is not about my parents. No. That was just the yeah. inspiration. Um, 
And I, I borrowed a few, th- you know, a few key scenes from their life, but otherwise Frank and Shirley are very much their own people. Uh, as soon as I started to write, they really came to life on the page as, as, uh, as themselves, as, as very strong individual characters. But that was, that's the story behind the story. Yeah, it's, it, it's really beautiful. And I, I think about old people now and I think about the devastation that coronavirus could have on a generation of people that are so important in our community. And it really saddens me. I mean, you look at New York and a lot of those people are living in nursing homes and it's just such a devastation to lose an a, you know a generation of people maybe oh absolutely and and the thing that you don't realize I think and my, my parents died reasonably young and so I'm finding as I'm getting older there's so many things that I would now like to ask them mm. and I can't and that knowledge has been lost forever mm. just even family connections and things like that like oh who was my great my or my great grandmother or you know where did they grow up I, I mean things some things you can research but some things like family stories and recipes those sorts of things can be lost forever so and I I just think it's I'm so glad that we are here where we are um, on this side of the world because Mm. I think we hopefully we're going to get away with it um come out of it a little bit better than than perhaps some of our our friends overseas Mm. I'm in contact with people um in the UK on a daily basis and it's just terrifying what's going on over there it really is well what can I say Lisa I think you should keep writing a beautiful story it's been so far enjoyed by many and I'm sure it's going to continue to sell its socks off it's called The Secret Life of Shirley Sullivan thank you so much Lisa for speaking with me today thanks so much for having me Cheryl If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.